0: Actually going to yeah, record through gonna... Zoom today.
1: Whoa, the highest of technology.
0: Yeah, so it'll probably be terrible. And the quality will be terrible, but we're okay. It's, it's the quality so of the conversation that matters.
2: kick us off today, yeah. Craig, do you want to tell us like what this fake background is on your screen today? It looks like a <laughs> fake office.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is actually my real office. So despite the fact <laughs> that me never talking about the fact that I have a real job, I actually run a design agency in this glorious fortress. It's from where I usually run it. But I usually prefer to be at home with the better recording. Is equipment. that a s is that a suit jacket
1: to your left shoulder? Yeah, that that is very,
2: very odd. Whoa. Is that a lapel <laughs> pin?
0: It's not mine.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> it's you sure? jacket.
0: <laughs> yes, it is a lapel pin and it's a lapel pin uh, of the Yorkshire. The Yorkshire Rose, the White Rose. Um, yeah. There's also a medal it's in a... there. I don't know what the Ooh. medal's for. This, this is oh. not mine, by the way. This is somebody yeah. else's. <laughs> this <laughs> is mine, though. My bin trophy. Wow. Oh. I That's... got this out of the bin. It's literally <laughs> my bin trophy. <laughs>
1: It just shows you how important credentialing is today.
0: <laughs> Here.
1: Trophy. Oh, I don't need it anymore. Actually, somebody else
0: got it out of the bin and they gave me it and said, hey, look, I'll give you a trophy. And I kept it because I like that's having a bin trophy. That's it very kind it, of them. Makes a good sound.
1: Wow. Well, uh
0: dope. Uh, oh, no, I've got this other thing. Sorry, I've got this other thing too oh <laughs> let's go never read it oh, no, never. Paradox. <laughs> good right, you read you read
2: uh, you read two sentences from it and you bought it on uh, foundation um, today Craig so thank you for the support <laughs> man
0: I, I, I read That's it on crazy. Kindle I, I, I for both of your guys books I bought it on Kindle and bought the physical copy as well but out of curiosity with yours jamie i bought it because i knew that it was print on demand for definite uh, and i was about to release my book on print on demand and i wanted to see the quality of it and then
2: you saw that the cover was misprinted and blah 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 <laughs> yeah early edition early edition um yeah when i did the hardcover man i had to like order like three copies of it before i could get it centered and the way i wanted it man
1: yeah it's always That's a it. bit off but KDP, KDP printing, as great as it is and as incredibly accessible as it makes printing books, no copy that comes out of these automated systems is ever the same. Like I, I had it uh, with my first book, particularly that was interesting because the, the, the color of the cover of Zero to Sold was kind of beige. So it wasn't white. It wasn't the lack of color or the absence of color. It was some really um, light beige and I printed it, uh, six copies or something, just to see how how it would vary. And every single one was different. And not only was the color slightly different, it was also set just like a couple millimeters different. So if you ever want to um, write a book or design a book that has some special cover that needs to be a particular color or that needs to be like really like precise by the millimeter because your spine is a different color than the front i would not recommend going with um kdp you would really need a printer that does this and has quality control because kdp prints it out if it looks like a book they send it off that's really what it is and um it's good enough for for self-published things but the moment you and I'm not trying to say that there's a quality difference between self-published and published books but the moment you want to have any kind of embossing or or beveling or you want gold dust jackets and stuff like that you cannot go with KDP anymore it's really really simple and basic which is good for books, particularly in our um, little community where most people read on Kindles anyway. And like Craig, buy a paper book to put it somewhere, you know, under a trophy that they found in the bin, stuff like that. <laughs> it's really cool, right? It's nice to have something to show people or to even hand people, but most people read on an e-reader, at least the people that I sell my books to. Like I, the majority of the books that I sell is Kindle, probably 60% both on Amazon plus Gumroad. I mean, Gumroad is exclusively digital, but the, the majority is really trying to read this on a reader, which is great for me because I get information on what people like most in the book, but, you know, which can be used to many different effects. But it's it's um, it's still nice to be able to to have printed books. But yeah, quality is a big, big problem for some, particularly if you're a designer. I would assume that Craig would really not like it to be too different from book to book. Am I right?
0: Correct. That's why I tried using Lulu, as I mentioned earlier. I, went, I think it's lulu.com, L-U-L-U dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what really interested me by that is the, the hopefully the, the quality was going to be better. The quality, by the way, is perfect. I've had a lot of books printed, a lot of brochures printed, a lot of stuff printed over the years as a designer, working from this fancy office. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, Yeah, it it looks spot on. And they also automatically synchronize it to Amazon KDP and a couple of other services as well. And Mm -hmm. they can automatically synchronize the Kindle version and the KDP Mm -hmm. version. So I haven't hit live on it yet. And I don't know what it does. I, I assume it's going to use Amazon KDP. So the quality that I was happy with on Lulu is not going to be the quality that appears on amazon yeah or, i don't know maybe they they feed the order back to lulu i'm not sure how that works yet so i need to check that out
1: that would be interesting to figure out because i would definitely build a system like that if it's more if the quality is higher for for something that is like a design centric book not necessarily for for my work which is more like thinky entrepreneurial stuff so the cover doesn't really matter but if it's about design, I think the, the book should be the invitation, right? Like the front of the book should convey the quality of the the advice in the book as well. Interesting, because I I would love to know how they would funnel this through. Because KDP, the author platform KDP is not a Amazon seller, seller account. It a difference. If you sell something on Amazon, you have way more insight into your logistics and into who buys what. And you can even communicate with your, your buyers. On some level, you actually get to understand who and um, yeah, how people buy your, your, your product. For KDP, that's not the case. We get some reporting, a couple of graphs, a couple of numbers, and that's it. No insight into our customer base whatsoever. So going through Lulu, if they go through KDP, have the same lack of information but if they actually have some sort of kind of um, distribution coordination with amazon as a publisher and would sell it through like a a seller account now that would be very interesting so please do keep me in the loop on that because i would find that a very interesting thing to try
0: Mm. well i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna approve it through there so Mm. probably it'll go live over the next couple of days so i'll let you know i am curious I'm just looking at it now you can also do so i've just gone to complete the project inside lulu and it lets me do a promotional discount as well to, hmm. to you know promote the book as it goes live and it pushes the promo discount and price out across all platforms as well hmm. so interesting it looks pretty promising
1: hmm. cool well and, and then you'll turn into like a best-selling author and and a jpeg owner And one of the things that I want to talk about to to you today and and Jamie as well is kind of this, this long-term creator vision, because I see you in your office and I was just thinking about this, like, this is the job you do for money, (laughs) you know, like this is, this is work you you love to do, obviously, but you also do it just, just to sustain your life. Now, if you sell enough JPEGs or if you sell enough books, like what's your, your, your personal kind of goal, would you still keep working in the agency or would you, would you do something else? What do you want to be when you grow up?
0: <laughs> Funny you say that. I actually, did, I actually did a talk to a bunch of school kids called What Do You Want To Be When You Grow Up? And it was about me talking about how I've grown up and I've ended up doodling for a living. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I've, I've talked about it a lot. It's, it's blurred because I literally get paid to do the thing I love doing for a living. So the things you see me do online for fun are the things that clients are actually paying me to do. So it's it's a little bit strange to think that maybe I wouldn't do it for clients anymore. What what's really happened more and more is is that we we take on less less projects because we we've already made enough money. So I think probably what would happen is we'd say no to more projects. Um, the NFT project that I'm working on at the minute, the Rick and Marty one, um, that I'm doing that with a couple of the guys I, I, in the office, so it's kind of like a joint project. And if it, and, it, and if that fulfills its potential, it could potentially make, you know, like a quarter of a million dollars, just just when it launches Mm. and 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 then that would definitely make us probably do a couple of less projects or something like that client projects but I don't know if I'd stop doing the client projects because the client projects are what keep me in the game you know they're they're what keep my knowledge up to date if I didn't do it for money a lot of the other things that I talk about as valuable maybe this is a self-limiting belief but a lot of the other things I talk about as being valuable, I I wouldn't be a professional designer anymore if people aren't paying me for it. So I don't feel like I could talk about being a professional designer anymore. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is that you feel like you you need to stay in the game to sustain your creative input, like the, the stuff that comes from requests, from proposals, from projects, from just the community itself. All right, so so your your future vision is not necessarily to have a particular job, but to be um, consistently creatively inspired, and for that you choose the agency life. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's an
1: interesting diversion, like an interesting distinction from how I understand or how I used to understand what do you want to do when you grow up, right? This, this kind of question is more about like, what what role do you want to play? What kind of definition do you want to give yourself? But what, what you are actually looking forward to is to be in a certain state, a certain state of inspiration. And you just, for now at least seem to affect the agency, the work in the agency as a, as a gu- guarantee to reach that state reliably?
0: I mean, I will say one thing. I already consider that I am doing exactly what I want to do. It's not an escapism doing the other things to escape the agency life. And the agency life is not uh, just a sustainability thing. It, it's the thing that I wanted to do and I'm doing it. And that's enough. I, I think often... You know, particularly on Twitter, there's a, a small portion of people that uh, kind of are against the nine to five life and, and things like that. Uh, I will say I only work for about 30 hours a week on the agency. So it's not, you know, th- this is not like a 10 hours a day. It's not what you imagine an agency might be like, you know, it's, it's only a 30 hour week. Uh, and we only really work on, cool stuff that we want to but we have had to do that for 11 years working on baby client projects we didn't want to so yeah it it is strange i like the mix of everything that's what i really like and i really went into overdrive during coronavirus for me personally because i realized that i had put all my eggs in one basket with the agency um I I was working a lot of hours on the agency and if the agency disappeared, which it potentially could have done during coronavirus, I didn't have anything else. And when that happened, I did start doing a lot of the things that have arrived as at here, talking about these things today. I wouldn't have met either of you two if I wouldn't have been tweeting on, you know, tweeting on Twitter. That's obvious it's on Twitter, isn't it? tweeting and making podcasts and things, all of that only kicked off because of coronavirus. So there is some part of me that sees it as betting on multiple things, absolutely. If the agency was to disappear tomorrow, um, I would hope that I would be in a better position than I was a year and a half ago. But still, I I still enjoy the agency life. It was my goal when I was 18 to run my own, own agency at some point, and I'd done it by the time I was 22. So I've kind of lived my quote unquote dream for like 10 years.
2: I think that's an interesting idea Um, because like for uh, the first like 10 years of my career, I thought I was always chasing something, Um, whether it was like a new title uh, or like I've you know, really thought I needed to go to grad school and get an MBA because like that's the career path that a lot of my peers were going down. Or after doing that, I thought I needed to go work at like a big tech company because it's what a lot of like people thought was like prestigious. But like at a certain point, I started to realize like I'm just chasing milestones that don't matter to me. These are what other people think are the definition of success. Um, and so I think it's it's interesting to think about like kind of Hitting, hitting a goal at an early stage in life. Sometimes people like describe this in different ways. Uh, some people have like quarter life crises at this point. <laughs> um, other people have different things, but I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about because at a certain point I was thinking to myself like, okay, well, if I did this, then what's next? If I did this, then what's next? And like, how far does this just play out? How long does this go on? Like, how long do I need to keep chasing these things that other people think are what the definitions of success are? Um, I think it's just an interesting thing to continue to think about because it's something I've definitely like put the, put the brakes on, you know, like I think, uh, after my time at WeWork, I was like, I'm just not going to keep like chasing these things. I'm not going to keep chasing these things. Like, getting a job at Amazon. I was like, is this it? Like, is this what is behind these, the smoke and mirrors? Like is th- these people and, and these, these, these are my tasks and uh, this is what I do here now. Like. What is it like? Why am I doing this? So,
0: I definitely, I definitely felt that in the first couple of months when uh, March sixteenth, twenty twenty, when coronavirus really hit the UK, I desperately felt that Jamie, That I thought that was my realization right there. I thought, is this what I've been chasing all this time? And for it all to literally collapse around me when there's a world crisis, and the when I first started tweeting and podcasting and making all the kind of content and doing the creative things that we talk about a lot, there was a desperation in the things that I would do it was doing. There was a, there was a rush to achieve something for definite. There was a rush to create an independent income or, or something like that to to finally release the book and become a millionaire or to finally make a Twitter account and become you know get 10k a month, as everybody says on Twitter just from tweeting there was a rush for me to do that and 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 then after a few months of this kind of desperation for me I realized that this exactly what you said I realized I'd just be stuck here doing this over and over and over because I started reaching these goals on on twitter in my creator life and realizing that they just kept moving further away every time that happened the first goal might have been, I don't know, make $1,000 online. And then I was like, right, I've made that. What's next? Oh, well, I'm going to start a community next. and I'm going to get some recurring income. Okay, I did that. Well, what's next? Well, now I'm going to do this. And before you know it, you're you just sucked into it all. I see so, so many creators online doing this, making a thing because they think it's going to be an escape to something else. Uh, and you can just, you can kind of spot it, or at least I can now, I went through that. You can spot that desperation. Um, it's. I don't think it's the right reasons to do it. I, honestly, I don't. I think the right reason to do it is to realise that you've probably got enough already and to do it for the fun of it or for the artistry or something like that. But, Yeah. I think
2: there's a lot of reasons to do it I think there's a lot of right I think there's a lot of good reasons to do it there's there's no right or wrong answer in the same way like there's no one way to build an audience there's no one way to like build a personal personal brand there's no one way to do like anything for the for different people like different things are the right thing you know Um, for like the inner artist inside of Craig like building and growing is like this way and for like you know a growth hacker memer for, you know, shit poster, like it's a different way. Uh, and there's 5,000 other areas of shaded gray and a million different paths to go on um, for different folks with different skills, interests, passions, uh, end goals. It's all different.
1: I do want to like point out this, this desperation thing though, because I feel that's a, that strikes a chord with me. Cause kind of that's the reason why we sold our business or why I was so adamant about selling the business because I always had a lot of motivation to to build cool things and to do stuff to, in, a, in a positive way, but being on the verge of burnout, like being like in a, in the mental health emergency state, that was just so much stronger of a motivation com- compared to to the the positive kind of oh this is going to be nice because it's already kind of cool and it could be nicer, you know, like that. That's a relative um, positioning um, thought experiment, I guess. But if you are in a slump or if you, if you are really in the middle of a burnout situation, then you are grasping for air. You're literally trying to find a way out of there and anything is good. And even if it takes a lot of work, you will do it to get out of there. So that's, that's where I find myself mid um, or early 2019, must have been, where we started having conversations with our to-be acquirer about selling the business. And while I was very much for it, like trying to get rid of the situation where I was the only technical person in our company. We didn't have any employees. Everything that happened with 5,000 customers was up to me to solve both in in a technical sense I needed to fix bugs. And if there was a data problem or if there was a a server issue somewhere, I had to be the person doing it. If there and, and if there was, there was a couple of hundred, if not thousand customers reaching out uh, to us through chat and stuff. And we needed to f- figure out ways. We set it up in a not too smart way. And that was the reason why I even got into this uh, this kind of burnout situation. But I was in there. Can't change that or couldn't change it at that point. But the only way out of there was to get rid of the business. And since we didn't want to close it down, because it was literally just like what, what you just said, Craig, our only um point or piece of wealth that we had was it was all locked up in the company for both for my girlfriend Danielle and for me. Like we have co-founded the thing. So our family wealth was locked up in the company. And it could could go sideways any minute. So the risk was very real that this would just implode. Just like you were afraid your agency might have two years later when the pandemic started or a year, year and a half or something later. And um, we, we had a lot of conversations and we, we just agreed that just to diversify our risk profile, it would be a good idea to sell the business. And um, that got me out of the slump. We sold, I transitioned it over and all of a sudden it really inverted into a state of complete liberty to do whatever I wanted, which was when I picked up writing, which was when I picked up like podcasting and community outreach, empowerment, all that stuff that so positively now impacts my life is the consequence of making this choice from a very, very dark and very sad internal state. And this desperation that I felt in that moment to get rid of all this work around me that I couldn't handle anymore, that was an incredible motivator just to to do anything and selling the business worked, and then trying other ways to, to rekindle my kind of connection with the community. That was a consequence, but I, I feel um, it is easier for people to act in, in this kind of uh, way when they are in a, um, like almost a position of being threatened, of their livelihood being threatened. Because okay. otherwise there's complacency. If you're already doing well and you could do better, you don't have that much energy to put into it because you're already sustaining yourself. But if there's this existential dread, this risk, I think there's just so much more and more potential motivation that can go in there.
0: I'd be willing to bet that, so during coronavirus, digital agencies have done really well. All of my friends who own agencies have done really well for kind of obvious reasons. But I'd be willing to bet the fact that we, we had our best year ever in 2020 and our best year ever in 2021 wasn't just because of the fact that coronavirus was going on. It was because of exactly what you were talking about that I got shook out of that uh, complacent attitude that I had and realized that in a very real sense, shit had to change and I had to do something about it. And I, I fi- fi- finally did it. Started working with global clients instead of just local ones and upping prices for the agency and all this kind of thing and just did them all at the same time. I turned it into quite a positive thing. Um, but yeah, it made me realize what was enough uh, which which i think which i think is quite important in in some of this i think uh, uh, run, running an agency is is very much like pretty much any other creative pursuit because as a creator as an individual you're your own business really aren't you you're running your, a business of you and and there's a temptation to just continue pushing all, all of the time running running from project to project to project and you never sit back and look and think oh, you, you know what? I'm, I'm happy. I'm comfortable. And when I realized that my creativity, you know, my, my ability to be creative in different ways, my ability to think laterally, shot up tenfold when I wasn't trying to make an audience, when I wasn't trying to desperately get 20,000 followers, when I wasn't Reading all the Twitter growth guides or things like that. When I was just being me, and I think that's probably the most important thing. And I think all three of us do this quite well. And um, there's a temptation when there's that desperation to build something. You just take on anybody's tactics and you try to mold them to get the same results as them. And like Jamie said at the beginning, that it doesn't work because everybody's different and everybody's right and wrongs are different. But I think what all three of us has done quite well is that you find your personality and you fit the way that you do these things to your personality and then it feels very comfortable. And you could do that for a lifetime then, you know? I don't think any of us are thinking about quitting Twitter, for example, are we? Or stopping doing what we're doing online because it's just you.
2: You know what I mean? It's a good point. I mean, like, one of the most disheartening things for me is when I spend an hour writing a thread that I really want to hit hard and I'm like ah, I want to write the next big like Dickie Bush thread about like whatever and I publish it and people are like yeah you know it's not really like what why we like Jamie <laughs> Yeah. so I just stopped fucking spending so much time on writing threads um, and not to say like I couldn't like transition to that but it, it's so true though you know like I just need to go out there and do the stuff that people n- enjoy me for me you know, rather than uh, this, being someone else.
1: Absolutely. There's, there's always a long-term um, effect to these things. I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday with um, Nathan Berry of ConvertKit. And he was, he was talking about uh, the story of ConvertKit, which is essentially a bootstrap business, like an email, email, email list provider, right, an email system. And um, first off, the story of the business itself is very interesting because um, it took them two years to get to 2K MRR. $2,000, two years. Okay. And then it took them one year to get to $100,000 MRR, which is a 50X. And then it took them another year to get to 500,000 MRR, which is a 5X, but, you know, to half a million. So um, that is substantial, you know, like that, that, that growth pattern, it, it took them a super long time to get going. And then it kind of hockey sticked away from there. And I, I was thinking that is, that is the story that is it's just, that's just reality. Like it takes a long time for things to, to find their stride and for things to sink in, and then you can leverage growth effects. But it's not that you can like growth hack your way into those growth effects. Like you, you have to do the, the long slog because that is the foundation for the growth. Like the, the, there is no growth hacking something that has no foundation. And he was even saying that in the podcast. I, I think it was on the stats revolution show for anybody who wants to listen to it. It's, it's a good episode. And he was saying, you you should just like anybody who, who starts a podcast should do it for two years and then consider stopping if they don't like it. It was like one of the things that he said, it's like some things just take a long time to either for you to even see if they work or not, because something that requires an audience, something that requires the long-term trust of people will take a long time because trust is built slowly over time. And to your point, like if you just start behaving completely differently on Twitter, because that's the newest tactic du jour, well, obviously it's going to confuse the people who have started investing their trust into you, right? If they think, okay, this person is nice, they tweet 30 times a week, exactly 30 times a week. And whatever they talk about is something that I could use. And then you start just amping up your engagement and you tweet a hundred times a day. Shouldn't, but some people really go for these experiments. Now you've just confused their whole worldview on who you are and they won't trust you as much as they did before. They might even unfollow you because you've kind of broken this unspoken agreement that you are who you claim you, you are. And I I think by just being yourself over time, and you're right, Craig, we've all three been doing that pretty successfully because that apparently is how we approach this, which is nice. I didn't codify it, but I'm just doing it. But, you know, like we we could codify it like in, in retrospect, saying that we just are ourselves consistently we don't try to change who we are in our public persona. We just are who we are and organically change over time without having any hacks. And that's the thing, like there is no hack, right? Any hack is just um, an, an attempt to reach something that you would reach organically over time and then fail at it because the hack makes you fail. The hack trying to do it fast will actually make it not happen at all. So, Listen to the episode to anybody who's listening now, if, if you're interested in that the, the convert good story because it's just a great story on, on bootstrapping and long-term perspective. Another just quick quick side note because it's it kind of plays into this whole do things that work. Um, and don't just go to the next thing thing that we were just talking about. Their marketing department and their sales department they have been um, they've been experiencing a lot of things over time. They've played with affiliate marketing, they played with direct sales and outreach, and um, you know the, the the created by or sent by kit button that kind of stuff that they have in their email. That is now a channel as an Um, an acquisition channel for them and a distribution channel. So he was just talking about all of these things and he talked about the mindset that they initially had, which was this kind of growth marketers mindset that you try one thing and it probably will fail. So you try another thing and it probably will fail until you find something. But most people in that space who've been doing all of this for years, Try a thing, see it fail. Try another thing, see it fail. They see something succeed and then they still go to the next thing because they can't deal with it succeeding. They don't know that, okay, well, it's kind of so much better than anything else. And eh, not enough. Let's do the next thing, right? Instead of saying, okay, this seems to work. Let's repeat that. Let's do more of this. Let's actually like dive into this one thing that we found succeeded. And he phrased it in a way that I really like. They cannot deal with success when all they've ever do is see things fail. And I think as people on Twitter who are consistently exposed to people trying new things, now it's threads, then it was giveaways. And now that there's like um, just having Twitter, like the the chat boom things, what is it called? The all your rooms and spaces and all these things that always pop up and they go away and pop up again. We kind of lured into thinking that this might be the next big thing for us. But honestly, if what works for you is just engaging with people where they already are having a conversation, or if you're good at threats, or if if you're great at video content and you just post a video every single day, just stick with that. People expect that of you. They like that. That's why they follow you. And then you can build on that over time. Just don't don't switch it up every single day or every single week. Because I've seen a lot of people just try stuff and become general. Like they become boring. They become... um, you can expect the unexpected, but in a bad way. You can expect them to to uh, change fit, change things up all the time and never have their own voice. And you don't want to be a personality on Twitter that doesn't have their own voice. I just feel that that is uh, that, that's where consistency really comes into play.
0: It, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing, isn't it? I've been thinking a lot about this recently because, as you've probably seen, I've been going through my Twitter early life crisis and thinking, all right, 5,000 is enough, I'm not going to play these silly engagement games anymore and all this kind of thing. I've been thinking a lot about this and, and not just Twitter, but a lot about the other things as well, particularly about podcasting and other tactics and all that kind of thing and thinking, what what is it? What is it that makes something a success, however you define it? Where, when When does that happen? And I think... What I've noticed is quite interesting. It's when somebody starts becoming themselves that the thing usually starts to take off. Um, or they, you know, they, you know, they stop doing the things like you were just discussing, where they, they see a tactic and do that tactic, see a tactic, do another tactic, see a tactic and do another tactic, where they just decide, I'm sick of it and I'm going to just be myself. And that's always when a thing, even if the, the numbers don't accelerate, that's when the thing becomes a success. And, and I've seen this, this trajectory uh, on Twitter, specifically Twitter's a really good one to look at for this. There's kind of this trajectory of people who come on Twitter because Twitter is a microcosm of, of marketing and everything else. You see on Twitter, people start very, very seriously at zero followers, and they use all the tactics and the threads and whatever's in vogue right now, and they maybe get to an arbitrary number, 20,000, say, or something like that. Then Then maybe they release a Twitter guide or something like that that's pretty standard. And then there's a tipping point for people, right, where they get to a number that they decide they're satisfied with. And almost overnight, they turn off the tactics and become a human. And then at the point when they become the human is the point where you enjoy starting to follow them. And I see this over and over and over on Twitter. Uh, just, just one example, Jack Butcher. Um, he, he writes, he wrote, he doesn't really write these kind of tweets anymore, but he wrote absolutely amazing tweets to get from zero to probably 100,000 followers. And he is probably one of the best tweet writers I've ever seen in my life, legitimately. That 100,000 followers is deserved. But then when he got to 100,000 followers, he started messing around and he, he got sick of writing serious tweets all the time and not showing himself. And now if you look at his Twitter account, it's pretty much just GM over and over and just having a laugh. And now it's, it's fun it's fun to see it, it's fun to follow. And I suspect that his real trajectory will start I just
2: I off. just blame I blame Good Morning Twitter for that because like <laughs> it's just the easiest <laughs> thing on earth. <laughs> you just set that up in the morning and not have to worry about anything for the
0: rest of the day. But you know what, you know what I mean though. That there is this oh, kind of weird thing in a in a creator's journey where they get to a point of satisfaction and then they open the curtains and finally become themselves. And I, I've been thinking a lot about this because I've been thinking, couldn't we just be like that from the beginning? You know, couldn't we just be ourselves from the very beginning? And a lot of people choose not to do that because they don't get the traction. They don't increase the followers very quickly when you've got no audience at the beginning. Um, I, know, I know one person off the top of my head who does this and has done this from the very beginning, and he hasn't really got that many followers on Twitter but his podcast is amazing, and I actually like his Twitter, and it's Paul LeCrone. But Mm. I don't know of any other person other than Paul who is legitimately himself from zero to X amount of followers. Everybody else plays the kind of ever so slightly fake game. I haven't got any answers, but it's it's an interesting observation, and we all play part of this, don't we? We all do this, or we did at some point. Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. Why don't we just be ourselves from the beginning? I don't know.
1: Uh, it's um, probably always a bit of a self-limiting belief in there. Because we, um, yeah, but it's this thing, like what do we have to offer that others don't offer? We, um, Danielle and I, we've been reading or listening to an audiobook book uh, called um, Do Nothing, which is about like uh, taking your life back from being cons- consistently busy. And the bad kind of busy, right? Not the, I have work to do that I really care about, but I'm busy, 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 no time for nothing. Busy, 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 that kind of stuff. So Do Nothing is a, is a, is a great book. And it also just really points out where this kind of um, inability to feel comfortable with yourself. So you have to do more. So you have to optimize more where this comes from. And the author, she, she had a really nice phrase. She said, we are, we are comparing ourselves at a distance, It's a kind of you open up Instagram, you see people you've never met in your life, and you compare yourself to them. You go to Pinterest, you see somebody's kitchen that looks so much better than yours, and you compare yourself to them. None of these people live on your street. None of these people live in your town, maybe not even in your country. You've never seen them. You will never see them. They will never talk to you. You will never talk to them. Why do we then compare ourselves to them? And Twitter is the perfect example for that, too. Jack Butcher is on Twitter. I have not interacted with him more than maybe a couple of tweets back and forth, but I do compare myself to him right? and in the sense of I want to be as prolific when it comes to tweets. I want to be as successful with going into, I don't know, just the most current thing going into Web3 stuff, like where, where he's been so busy with this and so, so effectively busy building things in the NFT space and getting people onto his courses and using all of that to leverage his brand even more that is something that I personally compare myself to that success, that kind of insight into the market, even though the person itself is not somebody that I regularly communicate with. And, um, I do compare myself to the both of you, too, in in many regards, in my creative output, in my kindness towards the people, quirkiness, you know, Mm -hmm. destroying my audience, that kind of stuff. And and that makes a lot of sense to me because we do communicate. There's a way for us to actually exchange, okay, why are you doing this? How are you doing this? What's the end goal? Which is why I asked my initial question. I want to see where you both want to be creatively. 20, 30 years from now, because I'm genuinely interested in you as human beings that have a future planned out for themselves. But if I just look at people like Jack or other, other people in the space, like Heaton Shah in the bootstrapping space, for example, I don't have a personal relationship with them. Yet I act as if I had one and then wanted to imitate them in some capacity. And I, I see that in myself and having found the right phrase, like comparing myself at a distance from that book, do nothing... I now know that this is something that I'm doing that I should not be doing because it literally is against the human nature to compare yourself to somebody who have no relationship with. It's like this whole Dunbar number thing, right? We can handle 120 connections, personal relationships in our, in our mind. That's kind of the number that we can build meaningful relationships with anything beyond is going to be shallow, which is why most um, indigenous tribes had are sized around 120. If there's more than 120 people, they usually break off into two different tribes. And they then build themselves up to 120 again, or around that number. And then those tribes break up, uh, break off again. This, of course, is a general, a generalization and might sound, might make me sound idiotic. But, you know, the idea is that humans, the, the mental capacity for building meaningful relationships is limited to a fairly low number. So by doing this, comparing ourselves at a distance thing, we are defeating our own capability of building relationships because we are permanently exposed to way more than 120 people. The moment we go into the digital realm, like I am following 10,000 people. That's a bit more than 120. So building meaningful relationships with all of them is like physically and biologically impossible. Still trying, but it's not, it's just, it doesn't work. I have to be selective. And I have to be fine with that. And that's the part that I'm working on right now because I would love to be able to build relationships with 10,000 people, but I know I cannot. And that kind of makes me sad for all the 9,880 that I cannot build this meaningful relationship with. But, you know, that's, that's really what it is. And comparing myself at a distance is something that I'm actively trying to reduce, which means I can be myself and just do whatever I want because I have nobody to really uh, imitate because the people that I'm surrounded with are on my level, at least I feel like they are who I already am like, and I want to be like, so I don't need to shoot high to this unreachable, digitally, only digitally accessible person. I can just be happy with who I am. I'd
2: love to, I'd love to comment uh, on a couple of things um, that have kind of been brought up so far. And I I think, um, for me, I'll just speak on, on behalf of myself, like, I am I am maturing as a creator from phase 1 of my career to phase 2 or phase 3. I don't know what these phases are. I don't know where I would draw the lines, but like when I was getting started, I needed to meet a lot of people. I needed to meet a lot of people very very early on to see who might share like my interests, who might be interested in the type of path that I was taking who might be uh, good good friends of mine who might be helpful resources who could grow with me who could support me who could blah 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 so beginning like let's just say a year ago a year and a half ago getting started two years ago i needed to meet a lot of people in order to get started um and then through the course of the last year or two years i have discovered and found friends that i can work with together that can help me get to where i want to go and i can help them get to where they want to go and it's just a common understanding between those people um and so like as a result of part a to part b here like when i was getting started and meeting a lot of people and doing a lot of zoom calls and exchanging a ton of dms with people to like meet, like the numbers on Twitter started to grow. The followers, Jamie's really engaged. Jamie's doing a lot to meet people. He's, he's learning a lot of things. Oh, you should talk to Jamie about this or that, or this, or this. And, um, so the followers like grew as a result of that. And, um, now like I have slowed down because like slowed down the, the number of interactions on a daily basis, which used to be like the inside of an atom, like the protons and neutrons are just like bouncing off of each other everywhere. And, uh, and now it's more like I've found a rhythm. I've met some people who I enjoy working with, who I know I can work on some projects with, who we're like going together. And so like it's changed into a new phase, right? And I'm sure there's going to be a phase after this and a phase after that. Um, but like that's that's where I am right now. Um, to, to your earlier, earlier question, Arvid, about like where does Craig see himself in the future? Where do I see myself? Like I'm trying to put myself in a position where I'm able to gain more and more freedom as my career uh, progresses. And freedom for me is like freedom of time, uh, freedom of time to work on the things that I want to work on, um, freedom of time so that I don't have to like earn all of my paycheck from one source of income, but rather have multiple sources of income that I can lean on um, with the hopes of like, I, I sometimes tell the story, both my parents are self-employed, right? My, my mother's an artist, my father is a CPA. He owns a practice of one; it's just him, and he does the taxes for all the people in my town that I grew up in. Um, I want to have something like they have, except digital, in the 21st century. You know, they're very happy with their businesses. I'm very, you know, happy for them and their businesses. But I'd love to build something on the internet like what they've built in my
0: town. Mm. I think it's, one of the one of the best things I did. Arvid, to go back to your point and also to Jamie's, is stop comparing myself to other people. Um, and it, it isn't easy. It's definitely not easy. I mean, for me, when you talk about comparing yourself to Jack Butcher, I think that's ludicrous. Arvid is comparing himself to Jack Butcher. Arvid is Arvid and Jack is Jack. And it's From an outside perspective, it seems ludicrous to me, but I do it as well. And I did do it. And if I was to tell you who I compared myself to, you think exactly the same, but it's, but it's silly because I can see you outside of you. And I, and I, know, and, and I only know you as you, whereas when you're in your, your own head, you don't see yourself that way, do you? You see yourself self-critically. Things need to be improved. You need to always be hustling to be something different. You need to be hustling to be somebody else. And I, I think that's really what it is, isn't it? Comparing ourselves to others, we—it is part of that hustle that we all kind of deceive ourselves with a little bit. I, oh, I need to be more like X, or I need to be more like Y. And um, I used to be very, very much like that, even to the point when I was a kid. I used to make plans for twelve uh, months' time. I was a weird kid. But I used to do that as a kid. So that was kind of my way for such a long time, going into kind of late teens and early 20s that, you know, I managed to, to the outside, be quite successful at 22 to have my own agency. But it was from chasing things kind of all of my life from a very young age. And and then when I realized a couple of years back that I had it, i'm there that's a very nice feeling to you know to, to not have plans when you when you you said earlier what are your plans i haven't really got any yeah. i just i just i just mess around I a mess bit around similar
2: yeah and a bit similar for me right like i love the phrase just like trust the process i don't know if jack started that i've seen it from aaron alto like we've all talked about it but like I really like that. Like, I, I know where I want to be yes. in the back of my mind. I don't know what the path is, but like,
0: I'm just going to keep creating. Yes. You muted, David.
1: <laughs> trying to unmute myself with my spacebar for some reason, it's not working. Um, that's pretty much the same for me. And I don't want to like dive too much into that anymore because I think we're also coming to the, the close of the episode. I'm just going to give you the, the really, really brief version for myself. I also just want to be able to choose what I do. It's kind of a kind of a meta perspective because I don't want to be any particular thing. I want to have the option to be any particular thing all the time. That's kind of where i am you know like i'm a writer this year what next year who knows what i'm going to be i just want to be able to choose yeah. and which is why i'm i'm so heavily trying to invest into um yeah investment really into putting putting my money and my my wealth into places where it can generate something for me so i can do what i want to do for myself And which, which is just like passive income and like smart investments and these things and we should probably talk about this at length I'd like in a different episode because it's, it's important just for, even for us to reflect on because there's a lot of assumptions in this. But that's that's why I am also with my creative outlet. I just want to be able to be creative in different ways at all times.
0: Mm. Beautiful way to end.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much. That, that was an
0: awesome conversation for both of you. Anyways. That was fun as always. I enjoyed it.
1: That
2: was good.